A federal judge rules West Virginia must change its ballots a day before they're due in county clerk's offices across the state. And can an endorsement sway an election? This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm your host, Ashton Mara. A West Virginia Supreme Court decision caused the Secretary of State to remove the names of 18 candidates from November's ballot, but a federal judge says the court was wrong and those candidates must be reinstated. The Constitution Party's candidate for governor reacts to the decision. And every election cycle, politicians, unions, even celebrities tell you who to vote for. In the end, do their picks make a difference? We find out coming up on Viewpoint. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. A federal judge has ensured that 18 third-party candidates' names will appear before voters on November's general election ballot. Over the course of a week, those names were included, eliminated, and then restored to the ballots because of two consecutive court rulings. It's amazing how much can happen in a short period of time. That's Phil Hudock, the West Virginia Constitution Party's candidate for governor. In five days, I went from on the ballot to off the ballot to back on the ballot. Hudock and the Constitution Party have been at the center of a court battle over ballot access. He was not a party in the lawsuit. However, the question of whether his name and the names of more than a dozen other candidates will appear on November's ballot came down to a federal judge's decision Thursday. The conflict began when the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals ruled in another election-related lawsuit last week. In that case, former state senator Eric Wells was trying to get on the Kanawha County ballot as an independent running for county clerk. A Kanawha County judge had previously ruled Wells couldn't run as an independent because he is a registered Democrat. That ruling came despite Wells collecting thousands of signatures from voters to have his name included in the November race. Wells appealed to the Supreme Court, where his attorney argued that the case was a ballot access issue. It's, it's a situation where a group of voters said, this is the candidate that we want, and it's the ballot access under the First and Fourteenth Amendments here in this state that the voters have the right to have on the ballot a candidate that espouses their political thoughts or their social views. Four of the five justices disagreed, and Wells and nine other candidates in similar situations were removed from the ballot. The Secretary of State's office says that because of specific language in the Supreme Court ruling about filing deadlines, even more candidates had to be struck from the ballot following the ruling. Uh, according to this decision from the Supreme Court, these, these candidates had to have filed by the last Saturday in January. That's Secretary of State Natalie Tennant, and this... This is where it gets more complicated. The Secretary of State's office has interpreted state code for years, decades even, as saying major party candidates have to file to run for office by the last Saturday in January during an election year. Third party candidates and independents, though, they have longer, 
until the end of July. But the new Supreme Court ruling says all candidates must file their intent to run for office by January, disqualifying everyone who filed in July this year. They scratch the entire Constitution Party. Hudock's Constitution Party is not a recognized political party in West Virginia, so like Wells, he had to collect 7,000 signatures to get his name on the ballot in this year's race for governor. And he did that. After four years of work and 10,000 signatures, Hudock turned in his petition at the end of July and was certified as a candidate, he says, about 15 days later. But under the new court ruling, Tennant had to pull his name from the ballot, his and every other candidate who filed in July. While I've had to follow what the Supreme Court says, it's not my personal feeling. I don't, I, I don't want to decertify a candidate who's gone through the process. Um, but I have to respect the Supreme Court and follow what their ruling is. That was Tenet on Wednesday, the day before a federal judge heard a new case filed against her office as the result of the removal of the additional candidates. One of the suit's lead plaintiffs is the Constitution Party's candidate for president, Darrell Castle. He argued that, unlike Wells, he was a registered member of the Constitution Party before he filed his intent to run for office in July. Hudock says... You know, that's a whole different issue. This is apples and oranges. Federal District Judge Chuck Chambers ruled Thursday that Castle, Hudock, and the other late filers affected by the Supreme Court ruling must be put back on the ballot. The Secretary of State's office says that ruling affects 18 candidates, candidates who are running as registered independents and candidates registered or affiliated with non-recognized parties. Not everyone will regain ballot access, though. A spokesperson for the office says candidates like Wells, who are registered with a major party and running as an independent, will not be reinstated. Although the Secretary of State could appeal the decision to the Fourth Circuit, Tenant's office says she won't. The secretary issued a statement shortly following the decision that says, quote, I have always fully supported ballot access for independent candidates and respect the wishes of the groups of citizens that support them. I am delighted by the court's ruling, end quote. And Hudock, he's delighted too. Ready to get back out there and hit the pavement. <laughs> so I'm back on the ballot, folks. Check me out. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Chris Christie, the Fraternal Order of Police, and Kid Rock have thrown their weight behind Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential race. The Obamas, the AFL-CIO, and Meryl Streep, they're going with Hillary. But as a voter, does who these politicians, unions, or celebrities say they're backing matter when you head to the polls? We turn to two members of the academic world for the answer. David Jackson is a political science professor at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, and Sean Kelly is a political science professor at California State University Channel Islands. So let's start at the presidential level and with endorsements specifically from other politicians. 
Donald Trump, for a long time, did not win the endorsement of major politicians in his party. He had a difficult time getting Republican governors, Republican members of Congress to back him. And we still hear about races where congressional candidates are trying to separate themselves, essentially, from him. And yet here he is. He's the Republican candidate for president. So, Professor Kelly, can you talk to us about the impact of endorsements from other politicians in the presidential race this year? Well, I think the first thing to understand is what the potential value of any endorsement is. And the value lies in many cases in the fact that many voters don't have a lot of information about candidates. And so for that reason, they will turn to endorsements from trusted individuals or trusted organizations in, as a way to kind of create a mental shortcut for themselves. So thinking about that that role of endorsements, um, then it becomes, I think, an issue of, well, who are those trusted individuals or organizations that you're looking to for that kind of a voting cue or shortcut way uh, to make a voting choice? Um, and this, this is a place where I think for Donald Trump, uh, pol- politicians' endorsements really kind of cut in two different directions. Um, one is, you know, the the lack of strong endorsements from major figures in the party uh, actually serves as a kind of a negative cue for uh, potential voters uh, in the sense that they're not hearing from the people that they think they should be hearing from, the George W. Bushes and so forth. But um, Trump is an anti-politician politician. And so for some voters, this shortcut will actually be a benefit to him because he's not being endorsed by you know, the so-called uh, establishment politician. So, Professor Jackson, I'd like to look back at the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Conventions over the summer because, you know, there was a running joke, essentially, those two weeks about the caliber of celebrities who showed up at one event versus the other. You know, Trump is endorsed by a former soap star turned avocado farmer and Scott Baio the guy who played Chachi on Happy Days. And then Clinton has people show up like Sarah Silverman, a former Bernie Sanders supporter, Eva Longoria, Demi Lovato, celebrities that are considered A-listers, talking about supporting her. So what's the potential impact on the average voter who maybe hadn't chosen which candidate to support yet, but watched these two weeks with an interest on the celebrities that showed up? Well, the Democrats have an advantage in the sense that entertainment, the entertainment industry tends to be more liberal and more supportive of Democrats. So there, it's not surprising that they would have more uh, A-list celebrities than uh, Chachi and the avocado um, soap star. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the effect of these endorsements based on survey research is um, a little more complicated than it may first appear. The celebrities, of course, bring lots of pizzazz and attention and uh, sometimes fundraising ability to candidates. But there's also 
the idea that w- what effect does it have on somebody's likelihood of voting for the candidate. Lena Dunham is an endorser of Secretary Clinton. For a lot of people, that effect could be positive. People could use her endorsement as the, the information shortcut and say, well, you know, I respect this person. I believe in the work that she does. If she's for Clinton, uh, that helps me make my decision. On the other hand, for a lot of people, she's not even a celebrity. So they don't know who she is. And then there are other people who don't like her and um, find uh, some of the controversy surrounding uh, things she's written about her life and things that she said uh, fairly distasteful. And so there could be a negative effect there. And in survey research that we've done uh, among uh, likely voters in Ohio, you know, backs up this notion that there's sort of a threshold concept of being famous to even have the person be expected to potentially have an effect. But then once you get past that, you also have to think about whether the celebrity is actually liked by the individuals. And so I could discuss you know, any number of celebrities who overall have a negative effect, but within specific targeted communities could have a positive effect on the likelihood of somebody voting for the candidate they endorse. When we look at celebrity endorsements in a historical context, are these things that can actually sway who wins something like a presidential race? Well, probably one of the most famous endorsements was uh, Oprah Winfrey's endorsement of Barack Obama in the 2008 primaries. And not only was she able to raise a ton of money for him, but scholars have shown that she produced uh, probably over a million votes during the primary season for Obama, uh, which you know was certainly <laughs> meaningful in that closely contested election between uh, Clinton and Obama. So the answer is yes, it's possible, uh, in, and it becomes more likely uh, if an election is very close uh, that any particular small factor uh, could be determined to be decisive. It's like a basketball game where the score is 100 to 99. Every single missed free throw or turnover, one could argue, is the deciding factor. Thinking about celebrities for a second, uh, a lot of times after a a celebrity endorses someone, at that point they uh, are seen in kind of a semi-official capacity. And so they will go on to say, you know, the late show with Stephen Colbert, and be described even as somebody who's who's a, a supporter of Clinton and who may be speaking on her behalf. And that I always see as the downside danger of having these kinds of celebrity endorsements because these people are not professional politicians. And when they slip up that slip-up is oftentimes going to be attributed to the candidate, him or herself. So I, I think that there's you know, kind of this double-edged sword to those kinds of endorsements, too, uh, that it, I'm not saying you're going to undo a candidate completely, but it can harm a candidate. 
when one of those endorsements kind of goes wrong. Dr. Kelly, I want to move to union groups because they have historically made a difference in West Virginia elections in particular. You know, the the United Mine Workers of America, the AFL-CIO, the American Federation of Teachers, those are the groups here in West Virginia they endorse at state and local levels. With the decline of union membership, do these groups still have the influence that they once had? Well, I, I definitely think that, that they don't just because the numbers of, of unionized households has shrunk considerably over the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, they do do it uh, all over the country, uh, certainly here in California. Uh, and full disclosure, I'm a member of a union uh, here at uh, CSU Channel Islands. The whole system is, is unionized faculty. Um, and so our union is is very uh, active in this area, and we make endorsements at the local level, and our statewide office makes endorsements at the state level. Um, and it it can have an effect, um, in part because what will happen is my union and, and other teachers' unions will send uh, direct mail out to their members saying, you know, here's the list of people that we think that you should vote for. Um, and, and I think it's really those down-ballot kinds of races where those endorsements can have more of an effect. Endorsements have an effect when there's less information about the race. You know, I don't really know who's running for dog catcher here in the county, so let me see what my union has to say about that as opposed to Clinton versus Trump. I mean, 100% name recognition on both sides. So um, that that kind of effort that unions can bring to those down-ballot races can really make a difference. And I tell my students all the time, absolutely truthfully, I don't pay attention to a lot of those down-ballot races. I wait until my union sends me the card that tells me who they think I should vote for. So I'd like to pose the same final question to both of you. In the most general sense, Professor Jackson, do endorsements really matter? I believe they do. I believe they do for the reasons mentioned earlier in terms of providing uh, cues for people on who to vote for, especially in races where there's not a tremendous amount uh, of information available. Uh, But also, um, it, it seems like now having celebrity endorsements has become something that's expected of candidates. And not just having celebrity endorsements, but being willing to participate in entertainment uh, venues uh, as part of your campaign. You know, formerly this was controversial. The you know Bush campaign in 1992 found it extremely distasteful that Bill Clinton you know played saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show. But before the election was over, they were trying to play catch up and realize that they needed to be part of the popular culture. Even Ralph Nader, when he ran for president in 2000, said that he had a respectable list of celebrities endorsing him as if it were sort of a threshold variable for credibility. So, yes, I do believe they matter. Professor Kelly, same question. Do endorsements matter? The important thing to realize about endorsements is maybe it's more like the the list of ingredients on the side of a cereal box or something like that where you know people might take a look at that and sort of ask themselves are these ingredients that I, I really want in my cereal or my politician 
and uh, it it may add some element of credibility. Uh, getting at some direct causal link between this endorsement and that victory uh, is going to be really difficult. But if we think of it as a, as a brand or we think of it as a product, um, then I, I think they do. They add up to something. That was Sean Kelly, a political science professor at California State University Channel Islands, and political science professor David Jackson from Bowling Green State University in Ohio. This has been Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Next week, we meet the Republican candidate for governor, Bill Cole. Just days before the first gubernatorial debate of 2016, Cole will share his thoughts about education, the economy, and the health of the coal industry. Look at what's happened to the coal industry differently. That wasn't a free market. That wasn't a, a good operator versus a bad operator. That was our federal government weighing in to singly kill an industry. Viewpoint is available on wvpublic.org or subscribe on iTunes. Follow the show at ViewpointWV on Twitter. I'm Ashton Mara. Thanks for joining us.